2: Hey, what's going on? You are listening to Talk About Gay Sex. I'm your host, Steve Rodriguez. And this week, I'm really excited to talk to two separate guests who are both advancing our sexuality and our gay lifestyle through their work and art. Later, I'll be talking to author Bruce K. Beck, who wrote a trilogy of books, You're Sure to Fall in Love, Love and the Epidemic, and finally, And Love Endures, All three riveting stories about our gay sexuality with the first one set in my favorite place, P-Town. But first, I'm talking to sex and intimacy coach Finn Deerhart. As always, become a member and visit our Patreon page. Patreon members support Talk About Gay Sex, the podcast, and get extra content depending on the tier that you become a member of. Go to patreon.com forward slash talkaboutgaysex.com. But first, here's my interview with Finn Deerhart talking about sex and intimacy. Well, well, I'm really excited today uh, to talk to Finn Deerhart. He's a sex and intimacy coach out in San Francisco, my old stomping ground. Finn, how are you doing?
3: Hey there, I've been
2: awesome. Cool, cool. You and I were actually on uh Wavy's uh, uh podcast recently, and that's how I learned a little bit more about you, which was a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed our conversation that day, too.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Well, for those that don't know, I said before you're a sex and intimacy coach out in San Francisco. Um, just so our audience knows, um, how did you get into becoming, exploring this and wanting to become a sex and intimacy coach?
3: So the question was what, uh, what got me into that path? Yeah. Yes. Um, (laughs) funny you ask. I, I, I tell people this and they don't expect this answer, but um, I was a minister when I was younger. I was born into a ministry family, and that was where I learned how to cut my sexuality off um, early on in my life. And so it was a a big struggle that took me a really long time to come out of the closet and to, to move into my own version of spirituality in my life. So once I embarked on my own journey and came out of the closet in my early uh, early 30s I just noticed how much I'd been affected and conditioned around sex and uh, when I moved out to San Francisco I got you know involved in the scene somewhat and I just didn't really find myself reflected all the time uh, out here in that way so I just got really interested in how I've been really affected and that led me into discussions with other guys where I was asking them like are you are you dealing with this? Are you dealing with that? And then um, it developed into career path based on just conversations with friends and conversations with other men. And once I found people opening up, I just found it to be a big need and also just a huge passion of mine.
2: That's excellent. I love that. Um, and one of the things you started is your own company, um, exactly where you give is it seminars and you work one on one with clients um, for people that are really trying to explore their not only their sexuality, but as maybe their relationships kind of come into play. And of course, it looks like you also intersect spirituality into the whole. Talk a little bit about all of that.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started queer connect. It's a community here in San Francisco and it's still been, it's been in development for a while because it did like, it started out with just the workshops that I was doing and I've recently been expanding that and, and very recently been approached by people that are wanting to to move that into all kinds of activities. And I see that there's like a spectrum of need for guys um, to not only have a space to connect over, What brought them into San Francisco and their spiritual journeys and then like their own personal struggles, but also like a place to have fun and um, events for people to attend that are focused around just connecting and dating and and that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to broaden the spectrum of what Queer Connect offers, but in a nutshell, it's a community that that shares values around connection, reflection, um, introspection, and trying to present an authentic, like an authenticity in in dating. And since so many guys are out there looking for partners and dates and and boyfriends, it's a platform where they can not only dive into, you know, workshops and and dig into some of the spiritual, um, abuse I think that we've all suffered and, and like find new ways to think about themselves, but also where they can meet guys and date guys and, it's, it's really cool for me because I've had guys reach out to me after some of our events and say, you know, they've had like really awesome threesomes or, or picked up boyfriends from, from the events and, and right off the bat, they were able to connect with somebody in a new way than they typically been doing. And it, it just inspires me.
2: Well, I can definitely relate to that. And that's certainly what we do here at Talk About Gay Sex is trying to explore, you know, our sexuality a little bit deeper than just you know the normal, uh, fun stuff, which is great. But um, I'm just curious to know how will how willing did you find people initially, or how willing do you find a lot of your audience to even know that they want to go deeper and into? I mean you know i think all of us are always trying to have self improvement but um mm-hmm. has it been hard for the outreach and to get people to look a little bit deeper into wanting to explore personal growth as it relates to their sexuality or has it just been something mm-hmm. that is you know it's san francisco and everyone's willing to kind of you know explore <laughs> themselves <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs>
3: Yeah, I know. Well, it totally it is like a, a West Coast thing, I think, to uh, in some ways, maybe to um, be all into like a a hippie or neo hippie new age vibe um, sometimes. But I think, you know, I, I love this question. And it's been a while for me to develop a way to talk about these issues with men, because I think not only gay men, but just men everywhere have really struggled to have a vocabulary to talk about their feelings and to really know what's going on inside of them um, from a perspective of awareness. And so often somebody will, you know, um, bump up against some of their own issues in life and it'll feel like just a, a personal trigger or they just can't make a relationship work or they just can't stop cheating on their partner or they just can't, you know, stop using substances to have sex or whatever it is that's really causing them some friction in their lives. So that's happening, you know, on one level, but to give it a name and to talk about it from some you know, place, it's challenging for them to open up and talk about it because it's touching so much vulnerability and so much that we've already been through in our lives to get to the point that we are. And I say a lot to guys, you know, just because you move to somewhere like New York or San Francisco, where you can let down your guard and be more open as a sexual expression, it doesn't mean that what it took to get to this place has been just erased, you know, and I think a lot of times we want to just be like, Oh, God, that was so hard. And I don't want to ever have to deal with all that again. Um, so I position it in, in a different way. Because yeah, if I, I when I first started out, I would talk about this issue and that issue and shame and people like, "Ooh." Right. That's kind of heavy. I don't really, <laughs> I don't know about that. Or, you know, or, you know, sometimes I actually was doing a workshop one time. It was like, um, a body shame workshop that I got in like asked to do where we were all naked and we're just talking and, and doing some processing on our bodies. And this guy walked in and he's like, what's this? And we were like, what's the body shame workshop to, to talk about shame? And he goes, Oh, I don't have any shame. He <laughs> just like walked out and shut the door like really quickly. Wow. Um, I know. So it just, people do have a challenging time. Um, wanting to talk about it. So what you do as a practitioner, as me, and to really intrigue people is say, you know, hey, don't you want to have more peak experiences in your sexuality? Don't you want to have more, you know, thrilling, exciting sex when you have a hookup and it just lines up just right and you have this amazing experience? What happened there is not necessarily just some random thing that you came across. What happened was everything lined up for you to feel like you could let down your guards and you could be really honest in that moment. So I position it in ways like that where it's attractive. It's like, well, fuck yeah. I want to, I want to have more peak experiences. You know, I want to be able to turn my orgasms up. I want to be able to have better sex with my boyfriend, you know, that kind of stuff. So I position it in a way. And then I leave them into that process of reflection um, more gently than just like putting up a workshop that's about shame or something like that. I've found that that's not the best way to intrigue men.
2: Right, right. A couple of the things that I noticed in reading more on your website that really stuck out to me were you say that you believe that as we uncover personal truths, we also contribute to our collective healing as a queer community. And you bring in 14 years of combined experience in social anthropology, wellness coaching, spiritual counseling, sex and intimacy coaching and personal development. And I think I was struck by that because as you know... As I continue to reflect, particularly this year, not only in a divided country, but as we continue to celebrate or celebrate 50 years of Stonewall, I think it's really good Mm to to ponder over some of these things like our collective healing as a queer community, like you say, um, because Mm -hmm. obviously the work you do can just be one-on-one, but I noticed you work with groups and, um, can you just talk a little bit about, um, that, that one area of collective healing as a queer community and what that means to you a little bit more?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, am really just happy about these, questions i love this um so i mean there have been studies that have been done that show you know like um the way that we work as social creatures um this is from like uh, neuroscience and anthropological data that whenever like let's say i'm telling you a story maybe about uh, uh, something that i was affected by like my dad in some kind of way and you can relate to what i'm saying like the same place in your brain on a brain scan would be lighting up so they've done these studies where they like people they, you know they Track what's happening inside someone's brain. So, two different people in two different contained heads would be having simultaneous experiences in brain activity based on what's being shared. Um, wow! And it's super, I love. it. Yeah, it's probably, it's amazing to me to think about that, and it, it raises so many questions about the way that we think of ourselves as just being just alone, or it's not just. Um, I'm all by myself in my head and of course I do have the personal responsibility to raise you know my own self and to heal my own self but when I do that I'm actually affecting the field of thought around me and even more to that point there's, uh, there's a researcher named Dan Siegel who's written a book just recently called Aware and he talks a lot about this concept of the mind and how um you know, the mind is defined as something that it's in context. It's both the perceiver and what that person is seeing outside of him or herself or themselves. And when we talk about the mind, it it doesn't do it justice to say, well, it's only in my own head. So we share all these different experiences and we share all these different images and patterns of thought. And we picked all that up from how we've been raised and families and families that have been, You know, steeped in a very similar cultural and religious and mythological kind of ideology around how we're supposed to be and what sex is supposed to be like and all that stuff. So, when we come into adulthood, we're carrying our own personal experience and how our individual biology has reacted with that environment, but we're also carrying the collective um, story and information, and we can all relate to each other. So, you can even just experience that in in a moment. Like if you're talking to somebody and you notice like there's a social awkwardness happening, a lot of times, you know, like if you're like, Oh, I I feel like I'm just kind of picking up on this person's emotions or, you know, I'm not really sure what I'm feeling, but suddenly I'm feeling some sort of emotional disconnect. That's one of those moments where we're just sharing this perception across space and and time in front of each other. But it's like kind of hard to decide like whose stuff is whose. And, um, I think whenever we do start to really dig in and and work on ourselves on how we've been individually affected, we immediately start to draw around us like people that are also interested. And I've seen that in my own own growth in life as I started to just heal the parts of me that wanted to hold back and the parts of me that were scared of people's opinions about me and, um, you know, around approval and needing people to really like me. And that still comes up every once in a while. Once I started laying that aside and just being myself and working on this stuff openly, other men just started just coming forward and wanting to really connect and share that experience too. So I've just witnessed it in my own life.
2: It really is amazing how much more alike than unlike we are. And that when you realize that the level of empathy that we can have for each other as a collective group, I really like that. And we do ourselves probably much more of a service when we can relate like that. Um, one of the things you other, you said that really struck me was you said that when you, um, designing relationships or designing a relationship to foster mm-hmm. in, personal independence while strength, strengthening relational bonds. And it goes a little bit along with what, um, the collective healing process of what you're talking about but it also says that the more personally independent we are the stronger we'll be in in our in our group efforts our relationship efforts and I think that's important also to talk about too is um you know the more strength you feel and confidence you feel the more you bring to a collective group wouldn't you say
3: absolutely absolutely Yes, and I and, and to that, um, when I coach boyfriends, it's one of my favorite I really love coaching boyfriends so much, actually, because um or even people that are dating and looking for a boyfriend because there's this mythology of the perfect person and this person that uh, is going to come along and help me never again feel the vulnerabilities that I've been carrying already. There's like this way of disavowing our own vulnerability our own pain and the things that we want to circumvent. And when we get into a relationship, those things get triggered like all the time. And it's easy if we're really sensitive and we don't want to have to deal with that. And we've been like socialized um, to think, you know, that we're not good enough. And, um, especially like in, in like the the queer community, it's, it's just like a heightened sense of sensitivity and vulnerability around relational wounds because many, many of us have been, um, abused by our families and our culture. So there's this heightened sensitivity. And then what happens is guys will meet up that they met someone online and like spend, you know, a few dates with them, maybe getting coffee or just like doing something where it's like really not a way for them to really be able to like dive in to get into like a a held kind of space with each other. And they're looking for this experience so, so much. And um, what we actually, I think want is the experience of all those vulnerabilities that we're carrying to be healed and to be just to be actualized as a person to all the things that I have already dealt with on the inside or all the things that I don't really want to have to deal with in my relationships or the actual things that I need to deal with so that I can have a strengthening partnership and so that I can be an independent man and not run around and um, try to just not feel those pains, you know? So in my own partnership, that's been key um, to have to deal with my own abandonment issues and my anxieties and being loved through all of those things has made me so much more independent. And so, I mean, it's really entering into a lot. If you're interested out there and you're listening to this, if you're interested in more around this concept, you can read on attachment theory. But um, the way we form our attachments, uh, it's its really huge. In if we heal the things that are holding us back from opening up fully, instead of becoming a conglomerate with our boyfriend, our partner in this real codependent kind of way, we actually gain an independence as a person because we're not just trying to like lump onto another person to like keep us safe from having to feel all those things.
2: Right. Right. I love that. Um, one, And I would like to read that, um, article if so, if you have that, we can maybe list it on our site. Um, it seems like a really important one. Um, you are in, we should talk about your relationship. You have a, um, is it a long-term boyfriend, Sam Sebastian that also, yeah, you work with him as well. Correct. On some of the workshops that you produce. I do. How, tell uh, us a little bit about how you, you and Sam met and what's been some of the keys to, you know, I would imagine as two people that work together in sex and intimacy coaching, um, you know, I'm sure you come across your own relationship issues, but how how did you mm -hmm. come together and, and tell us a little bit about you guys?
3: Okay. Um, (laughs) yeah, I, I, First of all, I've never been in a relationship like this before. That's really busted my ass, and <laughs>
2: in, a, really, in a good way like, and a sexual way, maybe. As, as in all the way, all the yeah, above. He
3: yes, um, he gives it to me good, and <laughs> I, I've had to like. I've just had to get real with myself. So all the relationships that I've had before this, I've been, I've played such a dominant, like um, controlling kind of role in the relationship to what I was just talking about before to really avoid having to deal with my own issues. And I had gone through some really painful experiences um, before I met Sam. And so I was actually out just having sex with people and just like, you know, I'm not going to date anybody and, then I got to this point where I was even like, Ugh, I don't even want to have sex with anybody right now. It just keeps bringing up too much. So I'd kind of gone on like a sex fast. And I met him at an ecstatic dance, was like a yoga um, and mindfulness practice one morning. And he was just really sweet and all over me. And I loved it. Um, but I also felt this fear like, oh shit, like I don't, I don't want to see this guy, but I do. And so we just started hanging out and I told him right off the bat, like, look, I don't want to have sex right off the bat. I don't want to date anybody. I just want to hang out with him and be really slow. Cause I was kind of scared of how much I felt attracted to him and how much I felt like he kind of got me right off. Right. So it was, just, it was like an old fashioned kind of thing. Like instead of being like sex first, we just hung out with each other and we had all these really intimate sharing moments and, as my love for him started to open up, that's when I decided I wanted to sex with him. So it was very different than the way I'd done any other kind of relationships. And we've had our ups and downs for sure. It was like all relationships do, because I think they put us in the fire and it's a beautiful thing. I think, um, I've had to learn a lot. I've had, I've been in therapy for a couple of years, um, <laughs> because of the things that have come up in this relationship, you know, and, moving into teaching with him has been a slower process. Like I really got interested in my own issues early on because like I was sucking his dick one day and like I suddenly just felt really embarrassed and I was like, Whoa, I've never felt this way before this is like two two and a half years ago. And right. I love sucking his dick. I love I just love sucking dick. And I never felt that. But like something about like, oh, this person I love him. I'm opening up to him more and more. And oh my God, he sees what a cocksucker I am. And I'm like, suddenly kind of scared. It was weird.
2: Right. Right. Um,
3: And I started having, yeah. And I started like having issues where I couldn't stay hard when we were having sex. And I was like, I'm so attracted to him. What the fuck is this? What does this mean? And
2: so therapy really helped you. And I think it's really great that you openly talk about your relationship like this, that even when you do find somebody that you are so connected with that you're having great sex with you took the time to get into it but then things come up personal things come mm-hmm. up like you you know all of a sudden you're embarrassed about sucking his cock but instead it, um therapy helped you is right and I think it's really good to yeah. be honest to show that even when you do find that relationship that you it, things might get better, things might get harder, but you there are outlets that you can explore. and I think it's really honest and great that you can talk about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, You two are working together on some great upcoming events, one of which is here in New York City that um, I think I might even try and check it out. It's called Flavors of Desire. You are doing it, uh, co-hosting it with, uh, looks like your uh, boyfriend, Sam. And Uh um, talk a a little briefly about what people can expect from this workshop that happens. uh, uh, I think the date, do you have the date? on you? It's-
3: I, I do. Yeah. It's on February the 21st, which is a Thursday night at three F, which is in union square.
2: Got it. Got it. We'll list that as well. Um, what are, what can we expect from flavors of desire?
3: Um, awesome. I love flavors of desire is one of my favorite things that we do. Um, it's kind of, I would call it like a curated sexual party in the sense that it is a workshop. So there's a work component to it, but it's all about, play and being led through these different spaces of desire and guys are a lot of times we're under this impression that it's just the way it is in that you know this kind of guy opens up this part of me and this kind of guy opens up that part of me and Especially if you're in a relationship, you might be in a situation where you're like, wow, all of my needs are getting met and I don't know how to do that. And even if you have an open relationship, it doesn't matter. Like, We have to be able to develop a way to navigate with our partners and to talk about our actual desires. So in this workshop, we explore the different desires that are the most common ways that we connect, which one is through the heart. Another is through our sensuality, another is through like fire and like passion and boundaries and um, we have the animalistic desire. So we move into these spaces with each other and it's a hour long um, the workshop is more than one hour, but the actual journey is about an hour long and it's curated. So it's our lead uh, with Sam. The participants through this journey, and we, you know, can work with multiple partners, or you can work with just one partner. It doesn't matter. Um, but what matters is that you come with an, a curiosity about where your edges are and where your strengths are, and um, you get to just kind of explore where you really feel like, oh wow, this is my most expressive sexual note that I lean into and, oh, here's this other part of me maybe that I long to express, but I actually struggle to sometimes. And so there's something about creating the space and doing it with these other men. It makes it easy to move into those edges. And it's a really sexy, fun, and it's a dynamic event. So I love working in the flavors of desire.
2: I love that. And it's um, have in the past, when you do these, do you find that the guys that come to these workshops are willing and open, or is there a little bit of, um, you know, breakthrough wall that people have to kind of get beyond? Because part of it is you will take some of your, or or all your clothes off at some point, correct? And presumably with people you may or may not know.
3: Right. That's a great question. You know, people are in different spaces around their own self-acceptance and about what they're willing to express. And that's totally fine. So I, I do let people know that it's possible that you might end up, um, fully naked and in doing really sexual stuff. But it's also fine if you want to just dip your toe in, like if you want to keep your clothes on and just work with your partner in a, in a way that feels a little more safe or a little slower, that's totally fine too. And at some point in the workshop, if it's like a, Hey, I don't even want to do this right now. We actually encourage people to step back and say, okay, I just want to witness. And that's also a really awesome way to hold space and to learn and to like help share in the event. So it's scalable. Um, and I have had guys before step out and just want to watch. And I've had guys step out and want to watch and then they jump back in. So like, it, kind of, it just depends on where someone's at. And I just want to make that available to everybody at wherever they are in their experience.
2: Excellent. Excellent. And I know you do a bunch of events, but one of them I was looking at that looks very interesting coming this summer, August 6th through 11th is the Easton Mountain Retreat Center. You're doing a Tantra uh, tantra experience, a vacation for your soul. Wow. Yeah. That sounds really awesome and fulfilling. Um, briefly talk a little bit about what people can expect for that.
3: Yeah. Um, that's. I'm so excited about that event. Um, Sam and I are actually going to be doing that together as well that's the first time that we're actually going to be involved in a multi-day event and it's being conducted primarily by
0: baseball fans bet mgm is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season step into the batter's box for bet mgm swing for the fences free to play game pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing if you get a single
3: Uh, organized by Jason Contra and his husband Ingo, and um, it's going to be five teachers, me and Sam, Sadhu and Jason and Ingo, and we're all going to be creating this wave that lasts for five days, and uh, where most retreats are kind of like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you have breakfast and you maybe meditate and you go to individual workshops, depending on what you want. What we're doing is we're crafting a program where everybody immerses together and goes through this five-day art together as a group. And it's going to be super special. Um, all, the, all of these things I've been mentioning to today, you can get more information about them on my website. And during, actually during January and February, there's a promotion running about Eastern Mountain where if you sign up for that event in January or February, you can get a free month of TV and then twenty percent thereafter Excellent. as an annual membership. Yeah, it's really awesome.
2: And real quickly where Jason, Oh sorry, I was just gonna ask, where is um whereabouts is the Eastern Mountains that you're referring to?
3: Um it's it's up it's upstate New York. I think it's a little bit um up past Albany.
2: Okay. Great. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will look into that one for sure. And we'll um, list that on our site as well. Um, Finn, I want to thank you so much for doing the show. Uh, Awesome. And for enlightening us um, about all the things you're doing, people can go to your website, correct? Uh, Finn Deerhart, which is just your, it's F I N N D E E R H A R T Finn Deerhart, his whole name.com and find out about all of your services and upcoming events, correct?
3: Absolutely. Yes, please do. And even if you want to just reach out to me and connect with me and share about your own personal journey, Um, I'm also available for that kind of conversation, but I would love to hear from anyone that wants to reach out and yeah, check out the events. It's going to be fun.
2: Very cool. I will will definitely check out flavors. of flavors of desire here in New York on February 21st. Uh, I look forward to that and thank you so much.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Steve. I
2: appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, and from Sex and Intimacy, we go right into my interview with author Bruce K. Beck, who just wrote a trilogy of books, with the first one that I read, You're Sure to Fall in Love, set in P-Town. Here's my interview with Bruce K. Beck. Today, I'm joined by author Bruce K. Beck. He is the author of You're Sure to Fall in Love, Love and the Epidemic, and... And love endures. His current book, the three volumes of his love trilogy, available widely in ebook, paperback, and hardcover currently. But Bruce is also a celebrated uh, um, cookbook author as well, and we'll get into some of that and how some of his trilogy. You'll see some of the how the cooking could, uh, could kind of uh, merge in with his love of his new fiction novels. Bruce, welcome to Talk About Gay Sex. How are you?
4: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here.
2: Thank you. And I had the privilege of reading uh, the first of this trilogy, You're Good. Sure to Fall in Love. That's
4: the way to read them. <laughs> uh, yes,
2: exactly. I know I was telling you offline that I, had, I thought I went the other way around, but now I have only things to look forward to. And I do plan on reading the second and third installment. The The one I read, which you wrote about a couple years ago, I think it was the first of the trilogy. Yes. Um, I love it so much. And I was telling some friends the other day over the weekend that anybody that has been or loves the iconic P town or Provincetown in the Massachusetts area, a summertime, uh, Primarily gay haven for many of us. We've certainly talked about it on the show. This is where your first installment takes place. It's set in nineteen seventy-six.
4: The summer of seventy six. Summer
2: of seventy-six. And so there's so much about that world that is so reflective on the times I've been there. However, what um what was your inspiration to start the series there, and is the main character who is um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Is mm-hmm. it reflective of your own story?
4: well, i uh, I was in Provincetown for the entire summer of seventy six working there, and um it was it, it was a transformative experience, and I fell in love with the city and it it it's been important in my life that that period. And I wanted to write about it, and I thought about writing memoir, but I realized that memoir requires a commitment to absolute factualness, I think. I think we owe that to to readers, to be completely honest and factual. And uh, I just didn't want to do that. I don't think I don't think real life always unfolds in an interesting way. You know, It needs a little uh, help sometimes to create story.
2: Well, I hear what you're saying. One of the things that when you are reading the book is it's definitely from a, a narrative perspective, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming it's you as I'm reading the book, and it's almost as if you're recalling memories um, from today, say, the present time, right, right. reflecting, You'll. I think there's times in the book where you'll say, I, I don't know if that's really like that today anymore, if you're mm-hmm. referencing drag queens, when, say, drag right, queens right. used to do older characters, like, uh, I'm going to throw out a name, Marlena Dietrich, which <laughs> I happen to know, <laughs> uh-huh. but a lot of our younger millennials may not have a reference to that, and right. you'll say, well, of course, today many drag queens create their own personas and don't Mm. have to do that. And so I can see where you went back and forth. Um, How much is, um, the main character is in a relationship, lives in New York, Mm. in a relationship with his boyfriend, Bobby, who is a Bobby? It has a summer gig in P Town,
4: right? That's how they get there,
2: and the that's summer. how they get there. And he's a an accompanist. He,
4: he get uh, well. A, a, he's a musician. Musician. He, he's okay. a composer and conductor and arranger and singer and
2: and an gets amazing. the gig for yes. and brings along.
4: Well, he does. Um, he writes special material for for this the guy who has the pilgrim who owns the pilgrim house hotel
2: jan yes yeah yes, yes. jan I, is our drag queen I, I performer jan. Yes. yes
4: and um so he uh and, and then um his uh his boyfriend gets a, a job as a waiter that summer so that's how the, the the two of them can go together and do it
2: and then along the way a cast of characters are introduced a cast of
4: characters well some some of the characters well they're all uh near and dear to my heart I fall in love with all my characters and some of them are fairly uh, closely taken from real life and some of them are about half of them are just entirely imaginary and uh, but they're (laughs) they're all equally real to me
2: Right, right. And right. I hope to you too. Absolutely, you know. it reminded me a little bit of Tales of the City. If you're oh, thank Armistead you. Maupin, where
4: thank you for that.
2: Yes, there's a bunch of characters, but each one of them, from mm-hmm. Mrs. Madrigal to right, right. which you know, there's a lovely woman in the in the book that is um, has a husband that they're more indigenous to uh, P-town. And they've lost their son, and so. Wage, she... you'll meet them again. Oh, great! They come yeah. back. Here. Oh, excellent!
4: Absolutely
2: excellent. So yes, and that, I, I really appreciated that. Um, so, what? How did it become a trilogy? Because, and what do I have to look forward to? Because, you know, in the first book, as we're going along, our main character that's sort of telling the story is in this relationship, mm-hmm. but. As many of us know, summer relationships or relationships in general, jealousy ensues, particularly when we're younger in our 20s and 30s. And there's always somebody lurking around the corner that can (laughs) steal, perhaps,
4: Mm -hmm. or
2: the threat of stealing our relationship or our man. Um, So there's definitely drama that unfolds in in the story, which I encourage everyone to read. Um, Talk a little bit about that and how that strings along into the book two and three
4: right well when I first decided to write fiction um I I had to kind of back up I had to put all my ideas on hold and start doing some research because I had been writing you know for decades but I had had not really written fiction before and so I had to try to figure out how to write a novel so uh Luckily, there are all kinds of amazing online gurus that uh, that I turn to, uh, especially uh, Joanna Penn at thecreativepen.com, P-E-N-N. Uh, amazing, uh, Joanna and her guests. I've I've learned so much from them. So um, then, when I started writing, um, I really I thought this was going to be a one-off, and then I learned that readers like series. Yes. That's what readers like. If they like the book, they want more. So I thought, okay, um, oh, a trilogy. Yes, I can do that. And um, I can take these characters, the two main characters, and then uh, a bunch of the peripheral ones too, and I can take them through beginnings and middles and Endings with new beginnings, of course, and uh, chapters so, in time,
2: if you will. Yes,
4: absolutely. So um, that's uh, that's how that all happened, and um, and I, I just loved doing it. I had the best time with it.
2: I love it. I love it. Um, we should also mention that you're a celebrated cookbook author. Oh, thank
4: You've you. You've
2: been on um, numerous cook. Um, you penned uh, is it two books? Two,
4: yeah, two food books. Actually. I did a third one as well because I wrote a um I wrote uh, uh, you're sure to fall in love the cookbook well, as a companion to volume 1.
2: I need to get that book because uh, audience is when you're reading you're sure to fall in love and I had the pre- previous knowledge of knowing that you were a, a cookbook author and I thought mm-hmm. wow how does how did he manage to do this but of course you did and I love throughout the book there's a character in the book and several other moments in time in the book Mm. where food is very much referenced. And I Mm -hmm. think we learn a little bit about, which I didn't know, Provincetown and how many of its settlers were all of, um, is it Portuguese descent?
4: Many Portuguese, uh, many Yankees and, uh, you know, whalers. uh, 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 The uh, the Mayflower... (laughs) The yes. Mayflower anchored in the harbor when they arrived.
2: Exactly, yeah. and you get to see a lot of that um, cooking references, and you're, and the main character is definitely, tra- um, you know, they have moments in time where training he's training to become training a foodie. To become yes. a foodie. Yeah. And I find that all fascinating because I love food myself, oh, and I'm a foodie. Oh, well, uh, you,
4: have to, you have to see the I, cookbook because I think it's great fun.
2: Absolutely. And, and so I love that you um, kind of inflect that because it makes it that much more fun. I think
4: I wrote a, a recipe for every food reference in the book. Excellent I think so Okay good
2: Well there's plenty in there I tried to I was salivating as I was um, We definitely There's a chapter in the book That I can't remember If it's chapter four Early on Where you say If this is And I'm referring to You're sure to fall in love The initial um, book Mm -hmm. Of the trilogy where if this is where you want to get your sex kind of fixed, this is the chapter to read, and you kind of
4: preclude <laughs> yes. the yes, chapter I did. and
2: being a a, a a podcast about gay sex, <laughs> I wanted to explore that a little bit more on what you talked about in that chapter um, It was almost as I love that you kind of referenced like if this is <laughs> precursor to what when you're about you to know, do you
4: know who you are yes if, if, you know if if you want to read uh, about uh, some really uh, hot sex. Um, stay with me, otherwise, you know, you can skip to the end of the chapter. What I also
2: liked about this chapter too is that you're you're talking about this main character who mm-hmm. is in this relationship. They both are spending, I think, their first trip ever together. It's you know, we want to say three months or so. Yes, three and, and assumably they have not traveled together, and they're going to be they're young and they're going to explore, be exploring a Well, a time... the
4: narrator's young.
2: The narrator's yeah. young, right.
4: Bobby's uh, 20 years older.
2: Oh, that's right, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, but a new relationship. And I think that what i liked about your exploration of it is that these are two people in in love or at least committed mm-hmm. but they are staying in p-town in a hotel that is known to be a little bit more sexually active with an open door with an open policy, door policy. Yes. and meaning you know i've been to some of these places too and you literally just have the door cracked open and that means mm-hmm. you're you're, You're available for business. Receiving, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. You're or receiving. Or giving or. Yes, yes. You're some receiving. Um, um, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. In some capacity, mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. And given that this was 1976, in some ways, I think it makes sense because all we know about the 70s. And in other ways, I think the conversation has, has gone deeper into open relationships, mm-hmm. say, in 2019 here. Um, Was that just what you had had seen and experienced back in 1976 or was this a conscious effort that you wanted to kind of reflect on maybe what goes on today that people can still be in a relationship and have that open open relationship?
4: Well that that particular period of Time was so deliciously free, and uh, I was I like that, in, deliciously. <laughs> I was in a relationship where um, we invited lots of, of guests to our bed, and it was recreation, and it was delightful, and it had nothing to do with our love or our commitment or our relationship. It was recreation, and it was wonderful.
2: Right, and it's almost as if you, it was the time, it was the time frame and it was not even thought of as, um, you know, oh, this is bad, or would you say that maybe later in the 80s, 90s that we got prudish? um,
4: That's part of it, but it really all started to change in the uh, 80s, in the early 80s with the... um, Beginnings of the AIDS epidemic. And so that's why book two, which is set in uh, New York City in 86, uh, a decade later, is so very different.
2: Wow, yes. And
4: um, there is... Well, of course, people will always find ways to be promiscuous. You of course. Know? It's, it's our nature. But um, it, life changed. Life changed so dramatically. And so you'll you'll read that. Wow. Yeah.
2: There is something to be said about I have I've had another guest um, on the show before we'll bring him back. But essentially um, memoirs or telling our stories now is probably more important than ever before, given that we're in a social media era Uh where everything is right now and mm-hmm. to preserve, particularly a year where we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Right. How important to you uh, was this trilogy and kind of preserving, I know it's not a memoir per se, but preserving our, our stories?
4: Exactly, exactly. Um, that's really why I wanted to do it. As I said, it, or initially I thought I would write a memoir. Um, and, uh, but it, I, I hope... I've been able to you know capture the the times through just the experiences of these uh few characters and uh, yes I hope uh I hope people will appreciate the documentary nature of it.
2: Exactly but especially a-
4: volume 2
2: Okay. Right. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. set in the eighties. Yes. You're right. No, I definitely. Where is uh, the the current one that just came out? Love um, and the epidemic. Um. So. Or oh, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, and love endures. And is love the endures, last endures one. is volume three. Yes. Um.
4: That's set in mostly in New York, a few other places too. But um. That's in the early nineties.
2: Okay. Got it. Perfect.
4: So this that's this my is,
2: era too. Where? Yeah. I was. <laughs> so
4: um, this is set at, at the very end of the. AIDS crisis, if indeed it has ended, it right. hasn't ended. Of course, it hasn't. But right. at the uh, end of the worst of it. Wow. So there, there's a a summer there where um, where the uh, narrator goes to uh, a couple of uh, memorials, and that was kind of the last year there um, where. Uh, you know, going to memorials was standard practice.
2: Right, right.
4: Uh, Unfortunately, new, but yes, new drugs, um, you know, prolong people's lives, and uh, and but anyway, that um, that's where I leave these characters.
2: Wow! Wow! Well, when you do read them, it does feel play like a narrative, and I could see the movie trilogy oh, <laughs> at some good, point. Oh, good! So, From your
4: lips to God's ears. There let's you do go. It.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And um, I love that you're continuing to write um, more an, a new st- book. Mm-hmm. You were telling me offline. What can you tell us about that?
4: Well, um, I'm I'm going to do another trilogy, but I I think the the three books will be. Um, uh, related thematically rather than through character. And so the first book um, is, uh, well, everything you know uh, comes out of my life, of course, uh, to some degree. But um, the first book uh, I was inspired to write after accepting an invitation to go to a high school reunion.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> I
4: didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I got... <laughs> I got a personal letter from our class president asking me to come. Uh, They found our English teacher, and she agreed to have lunch with us, (laughs) you know, all that sort of thing. And uh, so I said yes, and, you know, I talked to my husband about it, and he said he wanted to go with me. And so I said, well, all right, let's do it. So we went off to Burlington, North Carolina Wow! for a a city I hoped never to see. Again, in all my years, and anyway, um, once I committed to doing it, to making the trip, then uh, all these wonderful ideas started flooding into my head. So
2: I can imagine, because what is it about uh, us gays that you know, for many of us—not speaking for all of us, but many of us—high school wasn't maybe you know the best of our times. Yeah, um, for many reasons, many of us were figuring out who we were um sexual our sexuality and so forth, so and many of us don't want to go back to our small towns too yes, because exactly. we've now moved oh, to course, the big city and and is that a little bit of why you well
4: yeah it's all of that but um it, it's also the time period too i think um i was uh I was born in nineteen fifty so I graduated from high school in nineteen sixty eight which was such an amazing year. I didn't even know until recently all the things that happened that year. Wow, yeah, you right. Know, I mean, with, I knew, I, I remember, you know, Dr. King's death and, and Bobby The Kennedy's major, yes. And, you know, the, the uh, Democratic Convention in Chicago that summer and stuff. I just found out recently, now my birthday is in uh, February, um, it often falls on the lunar uh, new year, Oh, wow. The Tet Offensive began on my 18th birthday. Wow. I just found that out.
2: That's amazing.
4: And I didn't know what was... God, I was uh, I was more interested in whether I was wearing the right shoes than anything else that was going on then. Uh, I, I've i often said I didn't even know there was a war on in Vietnam until I got off to college. But, right. Which, of course, can't be true, because <laughs> I had to register for the draft and sure. get a deferment, you know, all this stuff. Um, but um, I don't know. There was no chance for gender expression in burlington north carolina when i was a kid and i also uh wouldn't have known what that was
2: right exactly
4: actually um i I have i I was writing about it recently um i always knew about my uh same-sex attraction that that was just a given from birth but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I could do with
2: it. How to express that, exactly. how to show
4: that. And you know what, what was a real game changer for me? Uh, uh, 1968, the year I graduated from high school, that's the year that the boys and the band opened off-Broadway. Oh, wow. And somehow or another, they managed to take that same cast to a movie uh, the next year. So the movie came out in 69... And I saw it, and I thought, "Oh, that's what gay boys are—they um, they have um, careers, and um, uh, friends, and lovers, nice apartments and-, and they have nice apartments with a Marlena Dietrich poster on the wall. They play vinyl, and <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't need any of the you know self-loathing and all of right, that right. kind of stuff." but i thought oh they have lives exactly. that's what it so that was that was a real game changer for me it it helped me try to figure out what i wanted
2: that's great and, yeah. and i'm so glad that it was here on broadway last summer and i saw exactly. it three times oh good. <laughs> so i got my fix of it and i'm really excited I'm a, well i'm really excited about this trilogy of of books that you put out oh, and i thank couldn't you. think of a better time for people to read them To reflect on our 50th anniversary of Stonewall as a sort of reflective time period to kind of throughout the years. Yes, I love it. Um, Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I want to remind the books are a trilogy of books, they start with You're Sure to Fall in Love. Then it goes into Love and the Epidemic, and the current one, And Love Endures, all written by Bruce K. Beck, are available now. People can get them on Amazon, I'm assuming, and any place they get their e- e-reads.
4: Right. Absolutely.
2: Great. And how can people follow you if, if people want to follow you? Are, are you on social media?
4: Uh, I am. Um, Audacity Books. Uh, AudacityBooks.com is the website for my uh, publishing company. And uh, on social media, we're at Audacity Books. I think on um, Sonia, where? Uh, but uh, Aud- okay, just at, look up Audacity, at Audacity, Books. Audacity okay. Books. yeah. perfect.
2: Thank you, Bruce. I want to thank you so much. I can't wait to also read the accompanying cookbook that goes with the first. Oh, I'll one. get you. A copy thank you so much. Immediately. Thanks for being on the show and for continuing our stories. It's been a pleasure.
4: Thank you, Steve. Thank you.
2: Well, thanks so much for listening today with my two special guests today, Finn Deerhart and Bruce K Beck. Check out our website, Talk About Gay Sex, for some of the links related to the conversations today. And follow us at Talk About Gay Sex on all social media platforms. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And the results are in for our Monday poll. What do you prefer, sucking or rimming? And... At last check, it looks like rimming one at 64% to 36%, which is surprising, but great. We'll talk more about those results, but I was expecting it to go the other way for some reason, but happy to hear that so many of you guys are into rimming that ass. We will break this down a little bit more with my co-host next week. And for now, continue having hot gay sex.